0: If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat in front of you, underneath, and you want to open up to Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm reading a I'm going to read a section of this, but we're only going to talk about a few verses and some of the themes there, and then we'll pick up where we end up next time. So I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart united in love so that they may have the full riches of a complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Father, we just thank you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for your word. God, raise yourself up in our midst so that we can see and understand the glorious riches of Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, we need to see and understand. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Paul ends that little section by saying, I tell you this so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And so this section of Scripture, I have a little illustration I want to use, and I need some help from somebody who's kind of athletic. Um, and yes, you will be challenged. All right, you got it? Okay. So... One second. Let me let me take one second to introduce the the deal here. But if you would look in the in this section of scripture, I want to point out some words that Paul uses and the idea and the theme that's there. If you were to spend some time reading this, it just seems like it just bubbles up. Okay, the word fill up in twenty four. The word fullness in twenty five. The word glorious riches in twenty seven. All wisdom in 28. The word perfect, which is the word full, complete, mature in verse 28. In 29, all energy. In chapter 2, he talks about all people. I want all of you to know. And then he talks about full riches of complete understanding in two two. And then he says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what I, what I was gathering as I was trying to study this, that, how can I explain what this chapter, what this section of this chapter, what Paul's trying to do? Is if you've ever been in a conversation with a non Christian, sometimes the idea is that um, from their perspective, Jesus doesn't make your life full. Jesus doesn't have really much to add to your life, and he can't fill you anyway. And they might say, well, I know that religion can offer some help to weak people, but Jesus, what help is he? And so part of the background, what we've said before, in Colossians, Paul was in a Roman prison. He received a letter from Epaphras telling him, hey, there's trouble in Colossae. In our little city, the Christians are being confronted by people telling them that Jesus just isn't enough that there's really no full life that Christ offers that he is not full and that the gospel whatever it is it needs supplement of all these other things and so they had fine sounding arguments paul said that they came against the the colossians and he said i don't i tell you this so that you won't be led astray and that you won't be taken captive by fine sounding arguments because The fullness is in Christ. The full life is in Him. The glorious riches, all wisdom, complete understanding, all energy, all the people. And um, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus. And so Paul wants to proclaim that to them and refocus their eyes, their hearts, and their minds on the person of Jesus and on the work of Jesus so that they don't... uh, Believe a lie that they can't be full. So then, okay, Sarah, this will be a little bit fun, okay? So don't worry. You can stand up here, you're going to hold this bucket. And what we're going to add, the idea is, okay, is the bucket full? Is the bucket full? Okay. So I have a few things we're going to add to the bucket. And you know what, Brandon, why don't you come up here a second, too? So, um the idea of fullness, what would fullness mean? And what would fullness look like as Paul's trying to, you can stand over there. You're going to get the idea pretty quick. Um, but w- is the bucket full? Okay. So the idea is of this fullness, of us trying to look into this, this section of Scripture and what Paul's trying to communicate to the Colossians. If you're empty right now, you don't need another fine-sounding argument from the world about what the world can offer you. As if you're incomplete without with Christ and that if Christ can't complete you. Because the whole point is we proclaim Him that we might help everyone mature. That word mature means be full. Measure to the fullness of all the fullness of God in them. And so... um What we're going to do is we just want to give an illustration of filling this bucket. So, um, can we go faster? (laughs) In that bag there. Sorry, there's a couple more. Yeah, throw it to Sarah, not me. (laughs) Oh, I should get out of the way. (laughs) What else we got? (laughs) Give it a blanket, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh. Wait, we got some tape here. We can pick up the rest of them. But the idea is, what's happening? Yeah, and you're full, right? So you want you, you could, we could give you more, and there is more, but in Christ, so you guys, thank you very much, you can help your wife. you can just kind of stack them in the corner. but this is actually for sound because it gets really echoey here. But the idea is if you look at look at the passage, Paul says, "I rejoice in what basically what he's saying, I rejoice in what I suffered for you, and I fill up." In my flesh, what is what is lacking. And then he says, I have been commissioned by God. It's my commission from God, my chore from God, my opportunity from God, my challenge from God, my command to preach the word of God in all its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. To them God has chosen to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And the passage just keeps getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Because he was talking about the person of Christ. Now he wants to talk about the work of Christ. And so if you try to get, pack all this in, that's what I felt like. Okay? So I might do a very poor job this morning of trying to capture some of the fullness of this passage. And, but it was like everything was spilling out all over. How do you explain glorious riches? How do you explain the fullness of Him? How do you explain Christ in you, the hope of glory? And so we're going to attempt to do that in some way, shape, or form. But even the word all, the word all in this section, one, two, three, four, five times. Four four times for sure. And then the word full, the word complete, the word present, it was all coming to a head and he was trying to tell them, I can hear him saying, we just want you to shake one of those dear Colossians people and say, listen, you are full in Christ. He is the fullness. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. What are you looking for? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? Don't you know Him? Don't you know what He has done? Look to Christ. Look to Christ look to Christ. I would ask you right now, and um, you're going to be uncomfortable doing this. It's okay, and so will the person next to you. But look to the person next to you and say, are you a Christian? And the person next to you would say, possibly say yes. And then you would say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? So, Lester, I'm... Oh, yeah, okay, go ahead. Are you a Christian? And the person may say, Keith, are you a Christian? Okay, and then I would say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what this section is trying to tell us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So before we get there, though, we need to go back to verse 24. Now, Paul is not with these people. He's in a Roman prison he's talking to them about his own suffering for the gospel as he went about on his missionary journeys everywhere he met he met trouble and you can read about that he shares about his trouble he shares about his struggles he shares about the people that were persecuting him he shares about his beatings he shares about the people that deserted him sometimes he says I was left by myself and so he's talking about not, the, not that Jesus' suffering needs to be filled up, but that as a Christian, there will be suffering. And he is dealing with that, and he's struggling for these Colossians now. He's going, oh, no. So there's going to be people who are deceivers and people who are deceived that are going to come after your children. So think of Paul as a parent. And Epaphras lets them know, hey, there's false teachers, and they're going to be led astray unless they hold on to the truth. So there's going to be people coming after your kids, and sometimes in total ignorance, okay? And they're going to tell your kids things that just aren't so. And so you want them to be grounded, rooted and grounded and built up in Christ so they can continue in their faith, stay steadfast and firm. So now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And what was suffered for them is the fact that Epaphras made this journey. He, he's always wrestling in prayer so that they would be steadfast and firm. It says that at the close of the letter. And Paul himself was praying for them on a continual basis. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for all those at Laodicea. That he was making efforts to preach and to teach the gospel, live it out in his own life. And so this, uh, this suffering, the source of his suffering, but it was a joy to him. He says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. You know, think about your struggles. Just in a slight comparison, a husband, for an example whatever you're doing for providing for your family. There's some suffering involved every time you have to leave the house, every time you go to this job or that job, whether it's dealing with people. But you're leaving the comfort of your home. You're leaving your family. And then as the spouse, if the wife goes off to a job, there's, there's difficulty, there's struggle. That's compounded when your job not your job, but your life, when you're going to try to witness for Jesus, when you're going to try to live for Jesus in a difficult situation. And this is what Paul is doing. But it was a source of joy to him. And he said that his struggles, they were for the sake of others. I rejoice in what I suffered for you, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Peter tells us, don't be suffering as a a thief or a molester or a murderer, suffer for Jesus, suffer for righteousness, suffer for good things. And then he says his suffering, it was related to Christ. But in no way did he indicate or imply that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was incomplete. That's not what he's saying when he says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's suffering. Christ already suffered. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now Christians suffer in his place in different ways. I mean, here we live in a relatively free society. Our suffering is minimal. But if you're at the workplace and you want to test it out, just step up and talk to people about the hope of glory. Talk to them about Jesus Christ in you. Some of them will look at you like you're crazy. Some of them will wonder if they can trust you. Some will wonder if you have slipped a cog. And some of them will outright ridicule you. This was Paul's regular journey as he shared. But in no way is he saying that Jesus' suffering on the cross was insufficient. It was absolutely sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. No suffering however great a Christian could go through in any way, would add to the atonement accomplished by Jesus. That would be a false teaching. That would be a false doctrine. That you know what? Just suffer for Jesus. It makes you look better in His eyes. Just suffer for Jesus. It will help you. When you get to heaven, you'll be higher up. It doesn't accomplish anything in the atonement the atonement was accomplished by Christ shed blood. So if the false teacher comes in and tries to say, listen, you need to add something to Jesus. You need to add something to his suffering. No, not in that, not in that way at all. Some Christians will, and they have had to suffer all kinds of things, even persecution. But Christ alone paid the price for the forgiveness of sins, for justification, redemption, and atonement by His shed blood. But Paul says in verse 25, I have become its servant. And he's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about people in general. I've become its servant to present a commission by God. Command of God. The will of God. To present to you the Word of God in its fullness. To present the Word of God in fullness. The mystery. So, I looked up this word mystery. It turns up in the New Testament several times. But here, the idea of mystery. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Don't you want to know? If you don't know today what the mystery is, don't you know what the, want to know what the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed, but has been revealed? And look what he says in verse 27. He uses the same word again. To make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of, of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And in chapter 4, when he ends the letter, he asks them to pray for him that he may, chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, verse 3, and pray for us too that our message, um, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. This is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, that Paul has the opportunity to proclaim. And the mystery is Christ. And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that Christ now, where the two were once separated, He brings them together, Jew and Gentile. And He brings them together. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, And He made known to us the mystery of His will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. The mystery of reconciliation. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, it says the mystery made known to us by revelation. The mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations past. The mystery that God gave to his prophets and his apostles. God gave through his spirit. The revelation, the understanding of the fullness of all the Old Testament pointed to. Even angels longed to look into it. In chapter 3, verse 4, it says of Ephesians, and I'm just giving references here, so stay in Colossians. Colossians and Ephesians just mirror each other. One uh, pastor used to say "Colossians, Colossians and Ephesians snuggle together in the sense that if you need some more encouragement, look at Colossians. If you need some more encouragement, look at Ephesians. They're in each other and they exalt Christ. Verse 4, my insight into the mystery of Christ that has not been made known before. Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles and the Jews are together, brought together in Christ. Verse 9 of Ephesians, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which was hidden from ages and generations past. So, in Colossians, when Paul is saying, I have become a servant by the commission of God to present you the word of God in its fullness. The word of God in its fullness is knowing all the plan of God that he made known to us in Christ and through Christ by sending his Son, not just to die for us, but to sending his Son that he might live in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All the fullness of the deity lives in Christ. It was interesting. As I was reading through, um, studying for the sermon, I came across uh, Charles Spurgeon. If you ever heard of him, he was a great preacher over in England years and years ago. Many years ago, back in 1800s. And he was preaching a sermon on this text, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he said... Imagine if you go to the hospital because you've got a serious illness and you go there and you're going to have an appointment with the doctor but when you get there, the doctor's not there. And the nurse says, well, no big deal. we got all the doctor's books. You just go there and you can read anything you want. No, I don't want his books. I want the doctor. Oh, well, you know what? The doctor's not here but we do have his jacket. When he left for lunch, he left his jacket here. No, I don't want his jacket. Well, guess what? You're in luck. The doctor's not here, but we got all of his medicine. So surely, if he was going to fix you, he would give you the medicine, so you got all the doctor's medicine. No, I don't want the medicine. I don't want the jacket. I don't want the books. I want the doctor. And Spurgeon was just reminding us, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ who we need. It's Christ who we seek. It's Christ who we want. It's Christ who is the answer. The fullness of the Word of God is pointing to and exalting Jesus Christ. To present to you the Word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all-inclusive in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This word mystery, before I get there, I just want to point out again, where it says uh, that to them God has chosen to make known. This is the in some of your translations, it'll say it was God's will. This idea of the will is that God purposed that no one would be in the dark. God purposed, he gave the revelation of his message so that you wouldn't have to be in the dark, so that you wouldn't be hopeless, so that you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, to face the struggle of this day while we wait for the blessed hope. So Paul uses the word mystery here, and he uses it referring to a New Testament truth that was not previously known. God knew it. But He did not reveal it. And no human could discover it apart from the Spirit of God and apart from the revelation of God. No human could discover it unless it was made known. That's the idea. That it was kept hidden. And no human could discover it, but God made it known. That's what revelation is. God made it known. Salvation in Christ. Fullness in Christ. Christ becoming in the flesh. Christ in the Spirit indwelling believers. Christ drawing both Jew and Gentile together as one. Christ giving you hope. Christ giving you redemption. Christ giving us adoption. So that's the mystery that he's referring to. It's the oneness of the believer and Jesus in Christ. Paul uses this word also to combat the so-called mystery religions of his day. We have the same thing going on today. The mystery religions, they claim that they have the secret rights and secret truths secret rituals secret codes that only a few could know you have to have special knowledge special privilege you had to be initiated into the mystery religion by rights, rules regulations and he has that alluded to there don't let people take you captive don't follow rules and regulations based on human traditions don't follow people who are talking about angels and the things that they they've seen and done they're disconnected from the head. That's all in the book of Colossians. The mystery of the gospel is not just for a few. He said, to present to you the word of God in its fullness and make it known to everyone. This mystery that is kept hidden, to make it known. The mystery of the gospel is for everyone, to proclaim to everyone, to present everyone, to present every man full. And that includes woman and child, to present everyone mature, In Christ. To present everyone full in Christ. In Christ we want no one to be held back. Fully grown up into him who is the head. Growing up into all he has for us. Growing into all the treasures of the fullness of knowledge. The glorious riches of who he is. Growing up into his person and his work. The accomplishment of that. Enough with religion that's holding people back from a relationship with Jesus. Enough with rituals and rites and regulations that hold people back from a relationship with Jesus. And Paul said, no, we're going to present Him. Present Him in His fullness. To them God has chosen, made known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. The plan that was kept hidden. The plan... To make enemies friends. The plan to live in us and live among us. The plan to take those who were far away and bring them near. The plan of redemption. The purchase plan that paid the penalty for sin. In Ephesians 1.9 it says, And He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. It was God's purpose by His grace and mercy and love to make His will known. Man left to himself, we turn to evolution as an origin, and we turn to reincarnation as our future or obliteration as our future. We're just going to end up as a pile of dust like we started. Left to ourself. Man left to himself is without hope. It says clearly, without hope and without God in the world. If you flip over from Colossians, you go back, you come to Philippians, and then you come to Ephesians. I would love for you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, how it's spelled out here. He says, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, so these Colossians would be included in this, that they were Gentiles, they weren't Jews. Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision. So you're saying, you guys aren't in. You're out. You're not in. We're in. You're out. But Paul is saying, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God, by which he put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people. Here's the gospel. Fellow citizens with God's people. It was God's purpose to make himself known and that man left to himself is without hope and without God in the world. God has chosen to make known. And it clearly indicates there when it says that God made known this mystery. The mysteries are not discovered by the genius of man. This mystery isn't discovered by the genius of man. It's discovered by the grace of God. As He sold over the world, He sent His Son. We were in the dark. He sent the light of the world. The mystery which has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed in Christ. And the Jews, they have been told there would be a Messiah to come. They knew that there was one like the King of David would come. They knew that there was a prophet to come, but they did not know it would be God Himself in Jesus. And they did not know until Philip began to declare, God's not going to live in temples built by human hands. He'll live in you. He'll live in me. He'll live in us. And so Paul can say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's living in us. He's displacing the old and making all things new. Desire for His word, new hungers, new thirst, teaching us to thirst for righteousness. God's revealing Himself. He's given us the message and the ministry of reconciliation as if He was making His appeal to the world through us. Is Christ in you. He brings death to old habits as He makes us new. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you aware of Him? Are you looking for Him? Are we serving Him and seeing Him in one another? It is by His life that we live. Second Corinthians chapter 3 says this. Actually, Second Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have a little bit of time here just to point this out. In Christ in us is theology that's all through the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 3, to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Colossians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. John chapter 6, Jesus talking, he said, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, They remain in me and I in them. John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you. The world will not know him, but you know him because he will be with you and will be in you. John 14, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love to him and we will come to him and live and make our home in him. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God is living in you. 2 Corinthians chapter six, we are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians six, do you not know that you are a temple of the living God? Galatians 2:20, I've been crucified with Christ; I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? But one in whom Christ lives. The glorious riches of this mystery is Christ. In you, the hope of glory, the glorious riches of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian life is no primary, it's not primarily a system of rules and regulations. It's a person who's living his life in another person. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh in regard to its lust. Both Colossians and Ephesians say put on the new self. The new self is Jesus. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our title to heaven is not our good works. It's not our good deeds. Our title to heaven is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I took this word, just this sentence, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think that's seven words, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay. So you write that sentence down and you say Christ, okay? We know who he is. Paul already told us who he is. He's the image of the visible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were made. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the rulers and the powers and authorities. He's above all things, right? So then you say, in you. You. Christ in you. Christ in me. The hope of glory. And then the word hope. Hope is the expectation of a certain future reality. The desire of some good thing with the expectation of obtaining it. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You wake up tomorrow morning and think, Christ in me, the hope of glory. What could that possibly mean? But all that He has and all that He is. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is assurance. Human hope puts the focus on our efforts and our abilities to bring about what we hope for. Biblical hope puts the assurance in the promise and the power of God to do what He has promised To accomplish His will and His purposes. Biblical hope confidence is in the character of God. Human's hope is only as strong as the human's ability to control circumstances and outcomes. Right? Which is very small. And the older you get, the more you understand that. Biblical hope is a sure hope. Biblical hope is in recognizing the trustworthiness the steadfastness, the power and the authority and the sovereignty and the goodness and the certainty of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the riches that Paul was proclaiming. The glorious riches of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did I say that already? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you think you'll remember that tomorrow morning? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Biblical hope is a sure hope. Biblical hope is recognizing the trustworthiness and the character of God that He is working out His will. Worldly hope is defined by like a little boy. And he said, hope is wishing for something you know you ain't going to get. That's worldly hope. Hope that is merely human is no hope at all. The majority of secular thinkers in the world They don't regard hope as a virtue, but as merely a temporary illusion. You Christians are greatly deceived. You You believe in a hope. That's really hopeless. But Paul instructed us, he said in Titus, as you wait for the blessed hope. You know what the blessed hope is? The return of Jesus Christ. The world uses the word hope in an unbiblical way. It's a desire for some future thing which we're not sure of attaining. The Bible uses hope. It's the confidence in God's ability to carry out his promise. It is not hope in circumstances, but hope in the person of God. One cynical thinker, H.L. Meckham, said that hope is a pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. Really? Really? So if Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he was telling these Colossians, listen, that's how you stay rooted and grounded in Christ. You began in Christ, remain in Christ by recognizing who your hope is in. Your hope isn't in your ability. Your hope is in Him who's already accomplished. Did you notice that when we went through Colossians chapter 1, verse 4? Look at what he said. It's actually in verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope. The faith and love that spring from the hope. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth. So your hope isn't that you're going to figure it out. The hope is in that it's been figured out for you and been revealed to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Scripture tells us, like I mentioned, to wait for the blessed hope. The blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That appearing, His return, does not depend on us. It's an absolute certainty that wishful thinking has no effect on. The blessed hope of His return is an absolute certainty. So whatever you're going through, it's temporary. Christ in you, the hope of glory the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone full, complete in Christ. To this end we labor, struggling with all His energy which so powerfully works in me. So that they may... verse. Two and a half now, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The blessed hope of his return is the absolute certainty that God is able to carry out his revealed will and do good to us in the future. So certain is this hope that the reality of it breaks into our day-to-day lives. It breaks into the day-to-day life. And it gives a reason to move forward. There's a lady in the nursing home. Her name is Janet. She's been there for quite some time. She's pretty much an invalid. And she sings one song consistently. Time and time and time again. So much so, I could ask you, what number is it? Number 42, what number is it? Number 42. Year after year after year. Song is, because he lives, I can. Yeah, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glorious riches of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We want a full life. Everybody wants a full life. But a full life is not in finding fine-sounding arguments to, to fill up some area where we lack. It's in Christ. The fullness is in Christ. In His person, in His finished work. Our hope is in Him. He's our hope. First Timothy one, Paul tells us that Jesus is our hope romans fifteen four says "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, thank you for your word. thank you for the fullness that you offer in christ God we, we repent. That we would try to fill our lives with things that won't fill. Rather than the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus, help us to be dissatisfied with the books and the jacket and the medicine. And help us to press on to the real thing. We want the healer. We want the person. We want Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to grow up into him who is the head. Help us to press on, to know Jesus. Help us to be dissatisfied with religion, rituals, rules. Help us to long and hunger for a deeper relationship with Jesus. Help us to trust, teach us to learn to trust. In Jesus. All these other things are a shadow, but the reality is found in Christ. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.